0: I greet you today in the name of the risen Lord as we gather to celebrate the good news of the resurrection. It's good to see those who have joined us here in the Faith and Arts Center along with those who are online at home. Uh, For any I haven't met, my name is Bill Birch. I'm one of the pastors here at Northside and you have found your church home because there is a place for you at Northside to know, to grow, and to go. If you were with us last week, you know I began the sermon with a small confession I do not play golf. I know. I also wear socks with my dress shoes. I don't know why they sent me to Buckhead. I don't even like to view golf on TV. I, frankly, I'd rather watch grass grow. Except during the first full week of April when I join millions of my closest friends to watch the Masters Tournament in Augusta, Georgia. After all, it is a tradition unlike any other. And this year, the Masters Tournament and the church's observance of Holy Week fall at the same time. This afternoon, uh, the finalists will play the last round. And as we culminate Holy Week in the church, what better title then the Master's Week, as we recall and recognize what Jesus has done in our life. Our scripture lesson for the day comes from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 24, beginning with verse 1. As you're able, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of the Gospel. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Amen. And would you please be seated. Last week's sermon concluded with the words, Jesus of Nazareth, crucified, dead, buried. Those who witnessed Jesus' suffering, death, and burial had absolutely no doubt this was the end of the story. And night fell, and darkness descended. The Apostles' Creed emphasizes this reality with not one but three words, crucified, dead, buried. But the phrase ends with a semicolon rather than a period, suggesting there is more left to be said. Because on the third day, the first day of the new week, the women walked to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body for burial. And when they arrived, the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And there they saw two angelic beings in lightning bright clothing who challenged them with the question, "'Why do you seek the living among the dead?' Why did they seek the living among the dead? The answer to that question is very simple. They expected Jesus to still be dead. That was a predictable way of the world, how things worked. Dead people stayed dead. But not anymore. At the cross and at the empty tomb... In the crucifixion and the resurrection, on Good Friday and Easter Sunday, God transformed the cosmos forever, turning the world upside down so that it was now right side up and nothing would ever be the same again. And first the women and then the disciples and eventually the entire world would know no story is complete without the final chapter. Yes, Jesus of Nazareth was crucified, dead and buried on the third day. He rose from the dead. A group from Northside traveled to the Holy Land in 2019, and we visited the Church of the Holy Sepulcher in Jerusalem, which is the traditional site of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. You enter these massive doors, and on the left, there is a large rotunda that soars over the holy tomb. And then there is a smaller chapel that encapsulates the cave where Jesus was buried. It consists of two chambers. You go through a low entryway into the chapel of the angel, where the angelic messengers greeted the women. And there's a fragment of the stone that sealed the tomb featured there. Then another narrow door leads into the tomb room, which is very small, barely enough room to kneel before the site in worship. I tore the meniscus in my right knee a few weeks before the trip. Unlike Jesus, I almost didn't make it out of the tomb. And whenever I visited the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, it's always been with mixed thoughts and emotions. It's a rambling structure overseen by six different groups, has uh, 30 different chapels where people worship, and you watch pilgrims line up jostling together like tourists at Disney World. There have been times I've been deeply moved and brought to tears considering Christ dying And being raised again. And the fact I'm standing where Christians for millennia have come to worship. Other times I've been a bit dismayed. By the somewhat tacky decor. And the cloying incense. And watching devout Christians break in line. So they can be first to see where Jesus was buried. Later in the day we visited an alternate site for the crucifixion and resurrection. That's called the Garden Tomb. It's located... Outside of Jerusalem's walls, north of the Damascus Gate, and it's called the Garden Tomb. We know that Jesus was crucified at a place called Golgotha. In Latin, it is Calvary, and it means place of the skull. And from a distance, there is a rocky outcropping there that does indeed look like a human skull. And nearby, archaeologists have uncovered a wine press and a cistern, which testifies there used to be a garden there. And then, they unearthed a first century tomb carved out of a cave that bears an uncanny resemblance to the place where Jesus was buried as described by the Gospels. And I recall uh, the British host that we had who greeted our group, and he talked about the claims between the two different sites, and then he paused and in true British fashion said, but ultimately, it doesn't matter. The important thing to remember, you see, is the tomb is empty. This morning, I invite you, boys and girls, I invite you, pretend you were walking with the women on that first Easter Sunday morning. It's still a little bit dark outside. And then there's this rending sound of rock being rolled away. And there are two angels with lightning bright clothing standing before you. And you hear the news that reverberates down through our ears. To this day, Christ is risen. And look into the tomb and see the abandoned burial garments and dare to believe. The important thing you see to remember is the tomb is empty. You've heard this story before. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John tell it in different ways, but the central events are the same. Most likely you have heard previous Easter Sunday morning sermons, but today I want to challenge you with a critical question. So what? So what is a question a seminary professor first taught me to ask about any biblical passage so what does it mean to the world? So what does it mean to the church? So what does it mean to me? If on this day of all days we claim what we proclaim and we practice what we profess, what difference does it make in our life and how will we be a people different who leave here than those who came in? John's Gospel alone tells a unique story about Easter Sunday morning. After the disciples had come to see what had occurred, they went back to town. Mary Magdalene alone remained at the tomb. And two angels appeared to her and asked the question, Woman, why are you crying? And she responded, They have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have put him. And then she turned, and Jesus was standing there. But she didn't recognize him. Maybe it was the tears in her eyes. The rising sun, he, he appeared differently. It was only when he spoke her name that she knew who it was. And she instinctively fell to her knees and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni. You probably don't have to speak Aramaic or even Hebrew to understand Rabboni as a derivative of rabbi, which is typically translated in the Gospels as teacher, but it, there is also a secondary translation, master. It was the title, the disciples called Jesus over and again in his three-year ministry. It was what was drawn out of Mary on that Easter Sunday morning, and I want to suggest to you, it is the answer to the question, so what this morning? That we too are called to fall to our knees and declare Jesus not only as Savior, but also as master master. And his Lord. Some of you were with us when we began this Lenten journey towards Easter on Ash Wednesday. It is a very reflective time of worship that culminates with the clergy imposing the sign of the cross on believers' foreheads with ashes from the previous year's palm branches. The twin themes of the night are sinfulness and mortality. And as we impose the cross, we recall people's sinfulness and say, repent and believe in the gospel. And we recall mortality when we say, remember you are dust and to dust you shall return. In essence, what every pastor does with every person is look them in the eye and say, I've got bad news, I've got good, worse news. The bad news is you're a sinner. The worst news is you're going to die. Have a really nice day. It is a somber service. But remember, the cross is imposed upon the believer's foreheads. And the feel of that gritty substance, the, the smell, the experience, reminds us that God has done something about it. That at the cross, sin has been put to death. And at the empty tomb, death has died And we come today to claim Jesus Christ as master over our sin, master over our death, master over all. First of all, master over our sin. We're all sinful people who come this day in need of forgiveness. There are things that cling to us we cannot seem to disengage from. There is a powerful moment in the service of Holy Communion. We celebrated it last Sunday here in this space and again on Monday, Thursday. It begins with an invitation and then a confession of sin. But then there comes that moment when the pastor stands in front of the congregation and in a priestly role declares God's forgiveness and says, Here the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. And in the liturgy, the congregation echoes back to the pastor. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Whatever we bring here today, God waits to be master of our sin. The psalmist says God takes our sin and throws it as far as east is from west. Micah says it is cast into a pool of forgetfulness and remembered no more. And one Christian author added God posts a no fishing sign right next to the shore. Jesus is master of our sin, Jesus is master of our death. We all come here today with the recognition that we are mortals where doubt bearers and death dreaders and every click of the clock brings us closer to that shared reality and that knowledge can drive us to one of two extremes. It can drive us towards denial and depression and we double down on the things of this world hoping we'll find something eternal in the temporal or we can recognize that we are called to count our days to live each day to its fullness and then release it with gratitude without regret, knowing that this life is the prelude to life everlasting. The service for funerals in the book of worship of the United Methodist Church is titled Services of Death and Resurrection. And I love the dual title because it recognizes the reality of death, but it also recognizes the ultimacy of life. And he who gave us life, an abundant life, gives us everlasting life as well. And Jesus Christ is also master of all. We come to this place and we bring with us the stuff of life. Every person here is bearing burdens, fears, doubts, anxiety, sin, temptation, trial, tribulation, And we come today beneath life's crushing load. And we need to hear the good news. God is master over all of that as well. There's an affirmation of faith from Romans chapter 8, one of my favorite passages. It asks the question, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor power, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And if this was a Baptist church right now, somebody might say amen. Jesus Christ is master, rabboni Savior, Lord. today, is the Masters Sunday. And the finalists are playing the final round and I will turn on the TV, hopefully sometime after my mid-afternoon nap, and watch the last few holes. And then I will turn it off and odds are good I won't watch golf again until this time next year. And some of you share my dispassion for the sport. Others here love golf you get out on the course every chance you get. You watch TV tournaments. You view instructional videos. You visit the pro shop. You own all sorts of gadgets and gadgets and knickknacks related to the sport. And you regularly watch Tin Cup and Caddyshack. <laughs> Regardless of our status. Today, we are all golf fans. Today is... The Master's Sunday. And for some here, it could well be the first time you've been in a church on an Easter Sunday morning. Or at least at Northside Church. Maybe you've noticed every time you come to worship that the church seems to have Christmas poinsettias and Easter lilies. Maybe your family's routine is more to come on a semi-annual basis, quarterly, monthly. Some of you are here every time the door opens... Regardless of our status today, we're all sinners in need of forgiveness. Regardless of our status today, we are all mortals in need of salvation. Regardless of our status today, we are God's people who come to claim life, an abundant life, and everlasting life, to fall at the feet of Jesus and proclaim, Rabboni, teacher, master, and to hear the good news. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Let us pray. Oh, gracious God, we gather on this day of all days to celebrate the good news of the resurrection, that at the cross, sin has been defeated. At the empty tomb, death has been destroyed. And we declare you master over sin and death, and you grant to us forgiveness and life. And we come to celebrate, to dance, to rejoice, to shout aloud that you are the firstborn among the dead. And we are brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the resurrection. And you give us life, and abundant life, and everlasting life. And this day we rejoice as your people. In Christ the risen Lord's name we make our prayer. Amen.